But yeah, so we're looking at 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, feel free to get that out or your phone. If you get your phone out, I would recommend putting it on like airplane mode or something so you don't just get distracted when something beeps up. Uh, but Heather's going to read that passage for us again, which is good. Uh, again, if you would like to read a passage before uh, whoever it is is preaching in the future, please do let me know. Uh, that'd be great. Me, me. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 15, I believe, uh, is titled, Paul and the False Apostles. I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. When I was wrong, when I... Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honoured you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you, I didn't have enough to live on. I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you, and I never will be. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows that I do. But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will all get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. take that out so I can go wandering. Um, so this passage starts off brilliantly because it starts off with, bear with, and it actually in the Greek says it twice, so it's actually bear with, bear with, which is brilliant. Um, and, oh, spoilers, click the thing. Usually it doesn't work, I just touched it and it jumped to the next slide then. Um, so Paul is saying bear with his foolishness. So it's not immediately clear as to what that foolishness is. So there's a few options. One of them is that Paul is basically saying, you know when you have a conversation with someone and you know that conversation is going to go nowhere, that your argument is just going to not be heard and you go, I know you're not going to listen to me, but here I go anyway. It could be that. Um, there is another option, which I will come back to you later though, as it will make more sense later on. And I've realized that I haven't prayed before I've started, so I'm going to do that because I feel like this is a passage that needs that. So, Father, I pray that uh, what you've given me today will be a blessing, it will do people good, it will challenge people where they need to be challenged, and that I will communicate clearly, and it will be good. Amen. Cool. Um, so, yeah, that's how it starts, and I just love that as a start to a passage. Bear with, bear with. Um, yeah, so, and thank you for Heather to reminding me that that was from Miranda. Yeah, I couldn't remember where it was from. So, it then goes to this sort of father of the bride bit. 
And you just see Paul's heart in this bit, in sort of verse 2 and 3, for the church in Corinth. He's saying, like, I... I brought you up, I raised you, and he feels this sort of protection and love over the church, and he describes the church in Corinth as this bride that he has promised to Christ. And many of you will think, oh yeah, that's pretty familiar imagery. We talk about the church as the bride of Christ all the time. Uh, What makes this different? But this is sort of smaller scale, if anything. So you have the the church as the whole, you know, which is uh, in, described in Revelation as the bride of Christ and how we're sort of being this big party and wedding feast at the end of time with Jesus. Um, but even in the Old Testament, this was a fairly common imagery thing. Uh, you know, it talks about Israel being like uh, the bride of God. And there's some slightly interesting words in Hosea which uh, talk about the relationship and how it's not great and Israel was a bit shall we say, promiscuous. Um, But yeah, so it's this idea of sort of this relationship between humanity and God and his people has been around for a while. But this is very particular to Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. He's saying that I feel like a father towards these guys. I was the one who come and brought the gospel to them. I was the one who encouraged them and gave life to this church and raised them. And it's He's saying about, I have promised you to Christ. And that's something that comes up uh, fairly regularly, I think, because every Christmas uh, people go, was Mary and Joseph married before they traveled or were they not married? And people always get really confused because it will say engaged or married and no one ever really knows what it is. But back in day, uh, there used to be sort of, weddings used to be in two parts. There'd be the betrothal where... Uh, the bride would be promised to a groom and then sometime later you'd have the big party and the ceremony and the the bride would leave the father's house and go and live with the husband and do, you know, married things. Um, So there was this two parts to it and that's what, this, this is like the first part where Paul is saying, you've been betrothed to Christ. As the father, I have promised you as the bride to Christ. And he feels really protective and actually says, I'm jealous for you, and in the same way that God is jealous. And so, jealous is a word that I think we don't treat quite necessarily as we should. So, I was going to do this with jelly babies, but I forgot to pick some up. So, there's a difference between jealousy and envy. So, uh, hands up, who likes chocolate bourbons? Oh, thank goodness, that would have been a disaster had no one put their hands up. Great. So... I currently have these chocolate bourbons, um, and they are mine. If you want my chocolate bourbons, that's envy, wanting what I have. It's jealousy when I say, these are my chocolate bourbons, I have protected these, I have a plan and a purpose for these bourbons, my belly, Um, and you know, I'm not going to let you have them because they're mine. I have purchased them with my money, They they are mine and I care for them and I like them, they're precious. Ignoring the fact that there is a box of them right there. But does that make sense? Sort of the difference between jealousy and envy. So it's not that God is looking at humanity going, I want what I don't have. He looks at the bride, the church, and goes, you're mine, and feels protective of it. Feels like that father who is protective of his child and wants what's best. And he describes, uh, Paul describes sort of uh, Eve in the garden with a snake and getting deceived 
And he's like, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to fall for the lies and be misled. And so we then get to, uh, and we mentioned them in previous passages, uh, but the guy's described as the super apostles uh, in sort of inverted quotes, super apostles, um, who were preaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel, um, which is not great. You know, as far as preaching goes, uh, you don't want to be doing that. That's kind of a no-no. Um, but the worst part of it was that the Corinthian church, represented by these lovely people over here, were lapping it up. They were just accepting it. They were, like, just going, oh, good, great. You know, accepting what they were told. I might actually open my Bible and say what it says there. Oh, I really love those bourbons. They're now on the floor. Um, but it says, uh, what does it say? do 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 Why does it say it? I'm not making this up, I'm sure. That's it. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. They're just, they're just accepting it. So there's people talking nonsense, telling them a different gospel, selling a different Jesus and a different spirit, and they're just accepting it. And so I wanted to look at those three things, sort of, because they feel like three traps that we could potentially fall for. So I figured we'd look at those and work out what those traps are so we can avoid them. So firstly, a different Jesus. Um, so you need to work out what the Jesus is that Paul preaches, really to work out what a different Jesus is. And he's pretty explicit in 1 Corinthians that he preaches Christ crucified. And that that is foolishness to the Gentiles. Which makes me think, because that's described as foolishness, that this is the foolishness in verse 1 that Paul is referring to, that he's saying, bear with me in this foolishness. Bear with me continuing to preach Christ crucified. Not saying that, you know, not just preaching Jesus as king and, and, and stuff, but, you know, a fully human man as well as fully God who died on a cross, which to the Gentiles was offensive. They, they didn't like that. And the impression that I get of these super apostles and this is a bit of a random uh, stretch for, hopefully someone will get this reference, is I think they're a bit like John Kreese. Does anyone recognize who that is? Whole host, okay, a few, uh, mostly blank faces. But he's a guy from a karate kid. He's like the bad, uh, bad sensei. And he has this whole pain does not exist in this dojo philosophy. And I kind of feel like that's what the super apostles were like. They... Uh, presented themselves as these sort of perfect, nothing bad ever happens to us. We are uh, just brilliant and wonderful. There's, there's no pain here. There's no suffering. That's not part of our deal. If you follow Jesus, you won't experience pain. You won't experience problems. Everything's golden and rosy. And so you can see why maybe they had an issue with Paul, who, uh, according to the guy last time, was you know short, boarding, with a monobrow and a bit of a limp. So this guy who was preaching this Jesus Christ crucified was just flying in the face of that. They're saying, you know, if you follow Jesus, you'll never have any problems. And there's Paul walking around going, I'm pretty sure that's not the case, you know, with a bit of a limp and not looking very healthy and kind of exhausted. So you just see this, this contrast here. And, you know, God, Jesus was fully human as well as fully God. Uh, and it's just important. You know, that's, that's central to what we believe. But to them, it's like, how can God have suffered and died at the hands of men? How could God have suffered a traitor's death on a cross? They, 
it's, it's almost the prosperity gospel, so, you know, which, which is still kind of around today. If you follow Jesus, everything will be wonderful, despite the fact that Jesus says pretty explicitly, you will have troubles. Things will go wrong. And, you know, Jesus' life, uh, things arguably were not that pleasant at times. He didn't, uh, you know, in, enjoy the, the torture and the whipping and the getting nails stuck through his wrists. He wasn't probably a fan of that. So it's just everything about the Christ that Paul was presenting was probably completely at odds with these super apostles. Uh, there's the cross. You may not, you know, you may, that's a thing. Um, so next, a different spirit. So this one was a bit harder to grasp. I wasn't quite sure what Paul was getting to with this one. So I had a few options. So the first thing I thought was that uh, it says in Romans 8 about the spirit who gives freedom from the law of sin and death. So maybe the super apostles were actually very sort of, you must do this, you must do this, very sort of law-driven rather than grace and freedom-driven. Maybe. Don't know. Uh, my other thought was, you, know, you have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, all of the good stuff. So maybe what Paul was saying, well, I know what the Spirit's doing in me, and people have raised up as, as Christians and how they're these qualities. And looking at these guys who are super apostles, I don't see that. They seem kind of arrogant and out for themselves and judgmental, which does not seem like the fruit that the spirit that I know and I have produces in people. So that was another option. Or it could literally have been some sort of demonic spirit. that he, Like these guys were literally sort of demonic um, and possessed by things that were not good. He later describes uh, Satan himself as an angel who dis uh, disguises himself in light and why we would expect any different from his followers. So, you know, that's a slightly scary thought, really, isn't it? Uh, but it's, it's not entirely clear. But it, regardless of what it is, I expect that the character that they were displaying was different to what he would have expected from followers of Jesus and people who are truly filled with the Spirit uh, of God, the Holy Spirit, that, yeah, they didn't look like what he would expect then have a different gospel. So there's a few different option? options. That's the word, not options. That's not a thing. Um, what this could be. So I thought Jesus plus. So when we looked at Galatians, that was very much a Jesus died for your sin. He's done it all for you. Great. But also you need to be circumcised. You need to eat these particular certain things. You need to live this certain way. And it was sort of Jesus plus. It was the gospel plus additional stuff. Stuff that you know, people were putting on other people and saying, oh, you've also got to do this, uh, to which Paul and the other guys around said, nope, it's just Jesus. It's all you need is Jesus. And I thought maybe it's Jesus minus. So maybe you know, they were saying uh, God came as a human and was born. He performed miracles. He was full of wisdom and grace and strength. He ascended to heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father in all authority and power. Which is all true, but it, it leaves out a fairly important bit, you know, where Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. But if you leave those bits out, Jesus loses all his humanity. He just becomes this sort of powerful being, but he stops being this fully human God. So maybe that's what they were doing. They were saying, you know, he's just the guy who sat at the right hand of the Father in all authority, but he's never been human has never 
been like us. And, and we can do that all the time. It's so easy to take one aspect of Jesus, one aspect of God, and focus on that and forget everything else. So, you know, you can think of Jesus as king and ignore the fact that he's also your friend. You can view him as the judge, which he is. He's, you know, he will be there at the end of time judging, but he's also forgiving and compassionate. So there's a lot to hold on to. And then last one I thought was sort of Jesus-ish, sort of, you know, if you squint, tilt your head to the side and take a few steps back, maybe that could be Jesus. So things like, uh, maybe like the Jehovah's Witnesses view of Jesus. You know, it looks like Jesus mostly, but the sort of closer you get, you go, well, that's a bit weird. Or, you know, you hear about uh, in Islam, Jesus returning at the end of time to judge and think, oh, that's Jesus. And then you take a closer look and go, oh, Jesus seems a bit weird. Um, but it's sort of this Jesus-ish, a look-alike-y, but not the real deal. I like the f- fact that Paul says in verse 6, we made it clear. He's like, oh, come on. I explained this to you. This is not the gospel that I have told you. Why are you accepting this stuff? Why? And then... Uh, you get this bit, which kind of sounds like more accusations, with Paul doesn't love you like we do, is kind of what I imagine the super apostles saying. Uh, Paul asks himself, was I wrong? Like, is this all about uh, Paul's sort of sufficiency and, and financial stuff? So we said before how he was bivocational. He made tents to support himself. He also received gifts uh, in terms of finance from the Philippians. And it says that he actually robbed the Philippians, which seems like really strange for Paul to be saying. And it gets even stranger if you look at the Greek. The word uh, robbed is horrific. It literally means uh, sort of pillaging the dead corpse of a soldier after a battle. It's brutal. Um, So I'm pretty sure he didn't do that, uh, just to clarify it. But it it gives you an idea of the cost and the sacrifice that maybe the Philippian church made in giving. It wasn't they were giving out of their wealth, maybe, but, but it cost them. You know, it was, it was a financial burden for them to do that. And the guys here were saying, well, because Paul's not letting you give to him, uh, to the Corinthian churches, sisters, they're saying, oh, because Paul's not wanting to be paid by you, he clearly doesn't love you. He, if, he, if he really loved you, he'd accept your gift. And that's so... Weird. So usually, I would say nine times out of ten, that's a pretty good argument. And actually to refuse generosity from someone usually is not very helpful because all you do is stifle generosity. But in this case, Paul had specific reasons for saying no because he looked at these super apostles and the others who were around who were in it literally for the money and went, I don't want to be associated with these guys. I don't want to have conversations with people and then say, oh, you're just in this for the money. So he removed that completely as an argument. He didn't want anything to stand in the way of the gospel. And then in 10 and 12, he says, effectively, never give up, never surrender again, which I really like. like, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to do it. I don't care what you do. don't care what you say. I'm going to continue to preach Christ crucified. I'm going to continue to tell people of the Jesus that I know. I'm not going to change the message. I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to make it palatable for you. Jesus is Jesus, and he's what I'm giving you. Deal with it. (laughs) He's very, very blunt, and I love that. But the problem I had with this passage and the bit that I really wrestled with was the end. Uh, Because I ended up asking myself, is Paul a massive hypocrite? (laughs) 
because last time round when I preached, I was saying how the super apostles were looking at Paul uh, with these comparative eyes and saying, you're not good enough, you're not a real Christian, and how we should never, ever say that. And here's Paul looking at these guys going, they're not the real deal, they're no good. And it's like, is, is Paul being a hypocrite here? Like, what's going on? It can't, that can't be right. So what is the difference? So uh, last time we said about comparative eyes and doing that and how that's bad. And Paul here isn't looking at them and saying, you're no good because I'm good. It's not a comparative thing. He's just sort of saying these people are out for themselves. He's not saying they're not like me, they're, they're awful. It's a, it's a different thing. And he says himself that it will be in the end that they get the judgment that they deserve. So he's clearly stating that Jesus will be the one at the end of time to separate the wheat from the chaff, and that's not his job. So what is it that Paul is trying to say here? And I think the difference is not what he's saying, but the attitude behind it. So the guy, the super apostles who are looking at Paul and going, oh, you're no good, uh, you know, because he had a bit of a limp or, you know, was suffering in some way or wasn't a great speaker, which Paul himself actually in this passage sort of goes, eh, I may not be the best, never mind. Uh, but, you know, he, he's not looking with comparative eyes. He's not looking with judgmental eyes. He's looking at his kid, his child, the Corinthian church with the eyes of a father who is concerned for the church that he has raised up, that they're getting led astray. It's all compassion and concern. And it's not, it's not, this isn't to even the super apostles saying, hey, you guys are the worst. This is him saying to the church, don't fall for this. Don't fall for it. Don't be deceived like Eve was deceived by the snake. These people are not good for you. They are not telling you the truth. Stop lapping it up. Stop accepting it. They're, they're not the real deal. And you can just see his heart breaking. So you can see that's the difference between Paul having this compassionate heart for those he's raised up and loved versus the super apostles who were like, well, this guy is an affront to um, our slightly weird ministry. Does that make sense? Cool. Heather, Heather, I heard it from Heather, but I didn't see it. Does that make sense? Cool. General nodding. Love general nodding. Um, so yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. So my question was, you know, what do we get from this? What do we do with this? Was who or what are you allowing to speak into your life? So the problem with this wasn't necessarily the super apostles. The problem here was that the Corinthians were accepting it, that they were going, oh yeah, maybe Jesus didn't die on a cross. Maybe Jesus was completely different. Maybe I don't I want this different spirit or whatever. You know, the problem was that they accepted it. And the problem was that they'd given so much authority to these people who were telling them lies, in effect. And I was trying to work out, I, do, do I do that? Do, are there people whose opinion I rate too highly? And we were saying uh, last time about how, you know, the, the Bible is the spirit-inspired word of God and what we use to settle every argument, every dispute. It's the sword of the spirit which we cut down arguments and lies with. But have we maybe put something else slightly higher? And I was thinking, you know, these super apostles, do we have super apostles now? I was like, mm, maybe not, but I'd say we do have sort of Christian celebrities. You know, you think about people like uh, Tim Keller, John Piper, 
Bill Johnson, Nicky Gumbel, even Terry Virgo. You know, these big names who people are really familiar with. And I love a load of these guys. I'd, I'd quite happily listen to their sermons and their talks and, and find a lot and get a lot out of them. But uh, take Tim Keller, for instance. He has a massive heart for cities. And sometimes that comes through really loudly and sounds like if you're a Christian you should be in a city and if you're not you're not a real Christian it comes across a bit like that sometimes but you know that is not what the Bible says the Bible says go and make a disciple of all nations everywhere everyone go to everyone everyone needs to hear the good news so you know that to me doesn't line up with scripture uh, I think it was about six months ago myself and Andrew went to a, a catalyst hub meeting in Worcester and Terry was there and 99% of what he said I agreed with, and it was brilliant. But there was one issue, and I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Um, and it's not because um, I disagreed from a human stance on it. Terry had one view based on his understanding of Scripture, and I had a different view based on my understanding of Scripture. And that's really important, that you don't disagree with people based on sort of your human experience. But if you can say, well, actually, I think Scripture says this, then that wins. I don't care that it's Terry Virgo who says it. On that issue, what matters most to me is what I believe the Bible says, and that wins. It doesn't matter if it's Terry Virgo, Bill Johnson, Nicky Gumbel, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. The thing that gets the final say for me is always what I believe the Word of God says. Uh, in the words of, who, what was the band again? Is it Backstreet Boys? You know, I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you've done. Uh, as long as you agree with the Bible. I'm pretty sure that's how the song goes. Uh, but, you know, we weigh everything against Scripture. It says uh, pretty explicitly in the Word, when you get prophetic Word, weigh it against Scripture. Um, when, you know, people are preaching at you, whether it's, you know, big famous people or me, you know, anyone in this church, weigh it against Scripture. You know, um, I would encourage you, just, you know, know for yourself what the Word of God says and, and check it out. And I've got something you know, really controversial to suggest that you do um, as a really practical thing. is that when you come to church on a Sunday, bring a Bible. When someone's preaching to you like I am now, have it open. Now, usually I'll have loads of verses up on the screen um, for you to follow, but I kind of almost deliberately didn't do that today because I've been saying, you know, verse 5 says this, verse 7 says this. Do you know that's true? Can you prove that? You know, if you have the Bible there in front of you, you can go, yeah, it does say that. Fair enough. Because that is basically the goal of a good preach. It's for you to go, yeah, I can see that. That's basically what we want from, from good preaching, to reveal to you what is there, to not sort of come up with something weird and abstract, but actually for, to just reveal the truth in a way that is helpful. So, yeah, I just in terms of... Uh, listening to people speak, just make sure that what they're saying is, you know, scriptural and, and true. And get worried if you hear someone speak for 40 minutes and they've told you a load of stories and told you a lot of background. But you know, you, you go, what are we? What passage are we looking at today? You know, you, you can get people who do that. And so it's important to make sure that what you're getting taught lines up with what the word says. Does that make sense? Cool. Um, so yeah, that was my challenge today, is just make sure that you've not put anything else higher than the Word of God. Um, 
And if you've got a big, heavy uh, Bible like me, maybe put everything else lower rather than put that higher because that's quite heavy. Um, but, yeah, it's important, isn't it? That the, There are so many voices and opinions and things out there, and especially things from the world where they're saying, hey, that thing that's in the Bible and God says is not okay, that is okay, it's totally fine. And the church has, in some places, fallen apart because we've neglected what the Word of God has said and gone our own way, so... Let's not do that. Let's not fall for the lies. Let's not fall for the snakes and the, the shiny demons. Let's you know, make sure that what we believe is what we believe and hold the Bible as the final say-all, uh, a sword in the fight against all the lies and all the nonsense of the world. Cool? Cool. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll pass back to Sam and we'll continue uh, to worship. <laughs>